The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au well, I take, invite you to take your Bibles again and go to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 30, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10. Exodus 30 and reading verses 1 to 10. And the Word of God says, Moreover, You shall make an altar as as a place for burning incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. Its length shall be a cubit, and its width a cubit. It shall be square, and its height shall be two cubits. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and its sides all around, and its horns. And you shall make a gold molding all around for it. You shall make two gold gold rings for under its molding, and you shall make them on its two side walls on opposite sides, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put this altar in front of the mercy seat that is near the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is over the ark of the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, burn incense. There shall be a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer any strange incense on this altar or burnt offering or meal offering. And you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. He shall make atonement on it with the blood of the sin offering of the atonement once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Let's look to the Lord again in prayer, shall we? Loving Heavenly Father, as again we open the scriptures in your presence, Father, we bow in submission to them. They are the word of the living God inspired by the Holy Spirit and profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that each of us may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. And Father, we pray by the preaching of the Word of God that you would restore our souls this morning. Father, we pray that you would make wise the simple. You would rejoice our hearts. You would enlighten our eyes. Father, we would have the fear of the Lord deeper on us, that we would have a greater fear and awe and a reverence for you. Father, we pray also that the judgments of the Lord being true and righteous altogether, that we would desire them more than silver and gold, more than much fine gold. Father, we would taste and see that the Lord is good through the reading and the preaching of Scripture. Father, we pray that as we take the Word of God for ourselves into our very hearts, that it would be as sweet as honey to us. Father, we pray that you would warn your servants through the preaching of the word. Father, we pray that there would be a great reward as we desire to keep the principles and the commandments of Scripture. Father, we ask you for your help this morning as we go to the word of God, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
We are a busy people with so many things to do. We're a people running here and there and everywhere, and the Christian life is a busy life. But there's always been only 24 hours in every day, only seven days in every week, and only 365 days in each year, except for leap year, of course. So the issue isn't how much time we have, but what we do with our time and our energy. Every single action or decision that we make has a cost attached to it. The cost is what we might have done instead of what we chose to do. I can go to uni or I can get a job. The cost of one is the other. I can save my money or spend it to buy what I want or need. If I buy something, the cost is that I cannot save that money. If I save the money, the cost is that I cannot buy the thing that I want or I think I need. Every choice, every action we we make has a cost attached to it. And every cost or sorry, every choice or action we make carries consequences. Spending all my money will probably or possibly end in bankruptcy. Going to uni will possibly mean getting a better job, and so on. But there's something else here. Prioritizing one decision or action before another can bring blessing or perhaps even great sorrow. So if I prioritize going to uni and getting a good job and then earning money to spend, save, or invest, there is possibly a great blessing from that although I certainly don't uh, avow a prosperity gospel. There is a rule, a principle in life that prioritizing certain decisions and actions before others will result in either blessing or possibly great sorrow. Well, what about the Christian life and ministry? What about prayer, which is today's topic? Do these rules apply to it? Well, the choice to pray or not to pray has a cost associated with it. The choice not to pray will bring negative consequences, and the choice to pray will definitely bring positive consequences. Now, those consequences may not be negative in the terms of pain or difficulty. They may not be positive consequences in the terms of comfort and joy. In fact, the choice to pray may bring affliction and sorrow in the terms of suffering for our faith, but they will be positive consequences. So prioritizing prayer carries costs and brings consequences. But the the hard part is that there's there's pressures, there's demands and, and deadlines that we all face. Stuff must get done, whether it's ministry or or secular vocation. So the question always comes down when we consider something like prayer, one of those so essential and yet at times so difficult, a spiritual discipline. What will take our highest priority? What will we do? What does God give us as the priority that we are to follow? Well, the priests in our studying the tabernacle that we're in this morning, they're in the same boat that we were, we are. 
they're about to receive a lengthy list of roles and responsibilities. Theirs was hard, heavy, hot work. You imagine standing beside that great seven feet long, seven feet wide, almost five feet high, great bronze altar as the flames burned and the meat roasted and cooked and burned. The smell would have been overpowering. It was hot and heavy work. There were sacrifices to kill and skin and butcher and then wash and offer on the altar. There was blood by the gallon to pour out. There was salt to sprinkle. There was oil to mix. There were ashes to remove and lamps to light and bread to bake. And for the high priest, when some of those ministries were wrongly or incorrectly done, it could result in death. What was the highest priority for their busy life and ministry? What is our highest priority for our busy lives and ministries? And I guess the question that really it all comes down to is, what is God's highest priority for all of us? I want us to see that God's priority for prayer. I want you to notice the context of Exodus 30. And if you just flip back in your Bible a couple of pages to 25, we'll just skim through and catch the storyline. We saw in Exodus 25 verses 8 and 9 that God's purpose for the tabernacle, that he may dwell amongst his people. We saw in Exodus 25, verses 10 to 40, God's provision inside the holy place and the holy of holies with the Ark of the Covenant, the showbread, and the lampstand. We saw uh, last week and the weeks before that God provided a covenant with his people. God provided an atonement. He provided fellowship and life and light that they were to enjoy And we saw how Christ is the fulfillment of those things and how we are and join in those things because we are in Christ. And then in chapters 28 and 29, you see there God's provision for the priestly ministry. He provides clothing and consecration for the priests. And then we land in chapter 30 and all of a sudden it seems different. God who has started inside the holy place and the holy of holies and gone all the way out to the the bronze altar and the consecration of priests, all of a sudden he's now back inside the the holy place, sorry. And God has there the discussion on how the altar of incense was to be made. God the Holy Spirit gives us Exodus 30, verses 1 to 10, to show and teach us several things. The obvious is, of course, how they were to construct and use the altar of incense. But also we can see there some great principles that didn't just apply to their life and ministry. They apply very much for our lives and ministry as well. There's three things we can see there. God's priority for prayer God's attitude for prayer, and God's prohibitions for prayer. And we won't look at the last one, we'll just look at the first two. And we want to say this morning from Scripture, and we'll see how, that the highest priority and duty of the priest was prayer. Having 
are about to give them all these ministry duties that will carry on through Exodus and all the way through Leviticus and all that they had to do, the very first thing that God does is he goes right back inside the holy place and he describes the altar of incense because what he wants them and us to know is that the highest priority for life and ministry is prayer. Prayer is the purest exercise of God's purpose for building the tabernacle. God desired them to build the tabernacle so that he might dwell amongst them. God desired to dwell amongst them, to commune and fellowship with them. God's desire is the same with us in the person of Christ. God desires to dwell amongst us, to fellowship and commune amongst us. God's desire is the fellowship of his people. God saved me for his glory, for my good, and for our fellowship. And the same is true with every single believer. God's chief method of fellowship is prayer. I want you to notice, first of all, the altar of incense was the priest's place for prayer. Now, as we read that, you will probably have noticed that the word prayer is not even mentioned in the text. So how do I or how do we know that prayer is what's being discussed here? Well, the Bible elsewhere in several locations, and we'll look at two, uh, describes offering and burning incense as symbolic of prayers offered to God. For example, in Psalm 141 and verse 2, the Bible says, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. And the idea there is that as the incense would rise up before the face of God and behind the veil, that, out, that was symbolic of their prayers rising up to God. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says that when he had taken the book, and speaking of Christ, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It's the prayers of the saints is equated to incense. Notice also in our text, and you can see this in uh, verse 8, that, or in verse 7 and 8, that Aaron the high priest burned incense. If you go forward to Luke chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, we see there that Zechariah, who was not the high priest, was chosen by lot to go into and bur- into the, the uh, holy place of the temple and burn incense before the Lord while the rest prayed outside. So the altar of incense is, a, is symbolic of prayer offered by both the high priest and the priest in due course of their duties. Now, we don't have a tabernacle anymore, and we thank the Lord for that. Christ is our, is God tabernacling amongst us. We don't have an altar of incense or an Aaronic high priest, but praise God, we have Jesus Christ as our great high priest. Thirteen times in Hebrews, Christ is described as our great high priest. In chapter 4 and verse 15, Christ, our high priest, was tempted in every way, just like us, yet without sin at all. Our high priest, the Lord Jesus, was sinless and perfect, truly God, 
and truly man. In Hebrews 2.17, Christ, our merciful and faithful high priest, has made the acceptable, appeasing sacrifice on our behalf. And then we see in Hebrews 8 verse 1 that Christ, our high priest, is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, alive forevermore to pray for us. Notice, secondly, prayer was our high priest's highest priority. That means Christ, the highest priority of Christ, our high priest, was prayer. In Mark 1.35, I was sharing with the men on a Friday morning. After a hard day of ministry and a short night, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Christ departed to pray. And remember... He is truly God, but he is also truly man. He suffers tiredness and weakness like we do. Not sin, not temptation. Well, he did suffer temptation, certainly, but he didn't suffer weakness like we do. So when he got up, he felt tired just as surely as we would feel tired. There's descriptions of him being weary and needing to sleep. Before even the earthly priests inside the temple, uh, the temple sorry, had lit the lamps and burned incense, Christ had departed to be with his Father to pray. Christ prayed before important decisions all through his ministry. ministry. In Luke 3.21, before choosing 12 disciples, Christ spent the night in prayer. In Luke 5, verse 16, the Bible describes that Jesus often slipped away to lonely places to pray. In Luke 9, 29, before the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus prayed. In Luke 3, I'm sorry, Luke 22, three times in the garden, Jesus prayed. And in Luke 23, three times he is described on the cross as in prayer. You know, as I, as I reflected on this and considered the message for today, the very convicting thing, one of many very convicting things about Jesus' earthly life, to me personally, was he who needed it less than any other human alive prayed often. Jesus prayed in deep, reverent love and communion with his Father, only once in Scripture is Jesus described as behaving in a violent manner when the ruling priest had disregarded and disrupted the Gentiles' court of prayer at the tabernacle at the temple, sorry, and used it as a place for commerce, Jesus makes a whip of cords and goes through there and overturns a table and drives out the animals and throws over the money changers' tables. He was angry. Zeal for his father's house had consumed him. They had taken his father's house of prayer and made it a house of business, a den of thieves and robbers. Jesus was zealous for prayer, for his people to be in prayer before God. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, was and is the God-man of prayer. Prayer was and still is Christ's highest priority and his sweetest privilege. I want you to notice thirdly that prayer is Christ's continual priestly ministry. Take your Bibles and flip over to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 23 to 25. Hebrews 7, verses 23 to 25, the Word of God says, 
The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has finished his work of creation. It's done. Christ has finished the work of redemption. His cry from the cross, it is finished. It was complete. It was done. Christ continues his work of intercession. He is still praying for us. We know that in a day to come when Christ returns, he will consummate that salvation. He will gather us all together and we will be preserved from God's judgment and condemnation of the wicked. But the work to redeem us has been finished. Christ now continues his work of intercession. He is still praying. Christ is in perpetual prayer for us, his people. How do we make it through one day, one hour, one minute even? It's because Christ prays for us. How do we know what we need for ministry? How do we have what we need for ministry? Christ is in prayer for us. How do we cope with all that comes against us? And it seems in these days that we live, there is more and more and more. There is a mounting wave of ungodliness and wickedness that is crashing against the Christian church and individual Christians. But we know that our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is praying for us. Brother and sister, when no other human is praying for you, When you haven't heard from other believers for some time, know this, that the Lord Jesus Christ is still praying for you. There is no greater comfort than knowing that. And second to it is the comfort we get when we get a note or a message or a text from somebody saying, just wanted you to know today that I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up to Christ who is hearing our prayers and rising to answer them. I'm praying for you. Well, Jesus is praying for you. You're going to finish the race. Christian, you're going to endure to the end. You're going to persevere. Yes, there is a responsibility for us to live in obedience. And the way that we're going to finish the race and endure to the end and continue in obedience is because Christ is praying for us. God's highest priority for the priesthood was and is prayer. Before he gave them all their duties to fulfill, after he gave them the clothing and the consecration, the first thing he highlights is the altar of incense, the place of prayer. I want you to notice, fourthly, that prayer is our priestly ministry. I hope you have a a set of the notes, uh, the note sheet that was put in the bulletin to follow along there. At least you can see how long to the end. (laughs) Uh, Prayer is our priestly ministry. The high priest offered and burned incense on the altar. A picture of prayer. The priests offered and burned incense on the altar. We saw that in the life of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Christ is our high priest, but Christ has also made all of us who truly believe in him to be priests. And as priests, we have the same priority and privilege to pray. So take your Bibles, go back over to the New Testament, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
I think I've mentioned this text almost every time in our studies in the tabernacle, but it worth, it's worth rereading. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 5, we read this. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built up as a spiritual house. God is working on us to shape us and equip us, each of us individually and all of us together as a local church and all of the church in the worldwide to build up a spiritual house. And there's a purpose in that house to offer up spiritual sacrifices. That's a very distinct purpose. Those spiritual sacrifices that we offer include prayer. One of our great responsibilities is to develop our prayer life. One of the greatest joys and labors that we as believing Christian priests have and enjoy is to pray for others. And yeah, when I said it's a joy and a labor, it is. The work of intercessory prayer is hard work. But that's the work that God has called us to as priests. One of, if not the greatest blessing as believers that we have is to pray for one another. To sit in the presence of God and pray. Pray on behalf of one another and pray before God. One of the most misused and overlooked aspects of prayer is silence. To sit quietly in the presence of God and commune with God. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord to let our minds turn over some of the biblical descriptions of the holiness of God and the wrath of God and know that it has been turned away, to sit and let our minds turn over the comfort that God brings, to sit and let our minds turn over the, the omniscience of God, the unchangeable nature of God's person and His promises, and to sit quietly and gaze with spiritual eyes on the beauty of the Lord and commune with our God. God has called us to prayer as our highest priority and privilege. God in love and grace and mercy has called us to speak with Him. God in love and grace and mercy speaks to us in prayer. Beloved, God loves the company, the fellowship, the childlike voices of His people as they come and fellowship in His presence. Prayer is the greatest privilege God our Heavenly Father gave us. This is one of the most convicting things I've heard recently someone say. Prayer should be as natural to the Christians as crying is to a baby. That's a poke in that, isn't there? Prayer should be as natural to the Christian as crying is to any baby. Prayer is the greatest work and the sweetest rest of the Christian. And the question that comes before each of us that we must face is, how do you and I see prayer? What is our attitude towards prayer? You see, the worst thing that we can do in a sermon is start banging away, and I'm sure I've done it many times. 
These are all the things you do. We make a, a, a list of things, make it and check it twice, all the things we must do. But you know, one of the deeper questions behind the must do is what is our attitude? Do we see prayer as, as a duty that must be performed and we must grit our teeth and get our way through it? Or do we see it with the attitude of joy, the attitude of submission, perhaps, the attitude of the greatest blessing that God has ever given a people to sit in his presence and commune with him? I can imagine the high priest as he walked into that holy place and stood there in front of the altar of incense and spread the coals out over the surface of that altar and began to put the incense on top of it and the the smoke began to rise up and the sweet, sweet sweet-smelling savor in his nose. And as he began to pray, mindful of the blood of the atonement that was behind the veil, we'll talk about in a sec, and to realize in that moment the sweet silence, the sweet joy of gazing upon the beauty of the Lord as he contemplated the Lord and offered prayer there before the veil. You could immediately write back and say, well, not all the priests were truly saved. You'd be right. But I believe there were many that were saved. I believe there are many men, the the priests in the, the book of the Psalms that wrote some of the Psalms and spoke of these things. Christian, what is our attitude toward prayer? Do you see it as a burden to be carried and born, a a duty to discharge each day, each morning and each evening? Do you see it as the greatest privilege to engage and enjoy like every other spiritual discipline? It requires work to develop. To put this into practical terms, don't run out and try and spend two hours in prayer tomorrow. Sit down with the Lord and aim to spend five to ten minutes in prayer. Aim to to pray and let the Lord lead you in prayer. We'll talk more about that at the end as well. But you know the beautiful thing about this? Is like every other Christian spiritual discipline that God calls us to be engaged in. God, our loving Heavenly Father, has given us His Holy Spirit to help us, to lead us in prayer, to speak through prayer to us. And when we cannot find the words to speak for us. Depend upon him. Well, our second main point this morning is God's attitude for prayer. Let's go back to Exodus 30 again. And I want you to notice that there are three attitudes, and you should see them there on your, on your note sheet. And I'll restate them as we go through. The first attitude is this. We must pray in submission to God's authority. Notice verse 6. Okay, The altar was placed near the Ark of Testimony. So if you picture the tabernacle in your mind, the holy place, the, the table of showbread on one side and the, the lamps down the other side, and in the middle there's this big veil, and then right in front of the veil, right up close to the, the Ark of the Covenant was the altar of incense. And God told Moses that he would dwell there above the Ark of the Testimony, above the Ark of the Covenant. He would dwell above the mercy seat between the two cherubim. It was his earthly throne. 
If you go to 1 Samuel 4, verse 4, and 2 Samuel 6 and verse 2, we read there that God was enthroned on or above the cherubim, the high priest and the priests in offering incense morning and evening were standing, were never standing any nearer to God's throne and then at that very moment of prayer. Standing near the throne of God to pray is a reminder to them of God's authority over them. They were standing in the throne room of the king. Remember we said before, if you read Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 8, and you look at the description of the tabernacle, in the mind of God, the, the table of showbread and the lampstand on one side and the altar of incense in the middle were all in the presence of God. That veil was there as a necessity until Christ's work could be finished. And then we see how it's torn away, torn away. He was standing in the throne room of the king. And standing near that throne of God to pray is a reminder of God's authority over him. He is the sovereign God, the ruler and the master, king and Lord, the great I am. And when the priests stood there to pray, there must be, there must have been a submission. There must have been a certain trembling of his knees and a weakness as he spread the coals and offered the incense. And he was standing in the presence of God. God requires submission to him. Brothers and sisters, we pray in submission to God. Now we, unlike those priests in the Old Testament, have no fear of our lives. We don't stand in terror, afraid of God, but we stand in awe and amazement and we stand in submission to God. And you know, the Lord Jesus is our greatest example of submission. When he prayed, not my will, but thine be done, he set the standard he displayed in every detail what it meant to submit to his father's will prayer requires us to submit to god even the action of asking and seeking and knocking in prayer demands our submission we are asking for god to speak and we submit as we ask we don't demand we are seeking for god we don't stand aloof and demand that god come to us we knock on the door, that figurative picture. And we are asking in submission for God to meet with us. Now, submission and attitude does not negate earnest, heartfelt cries to God to plead for what we see and desire as necessary. I think there's one failing amongst the Reformed faith, those who have a Reformed perspective. We submit everything to the will of God and we are afraid to actually ask for something. And God calls us to ask and seek and knock and find. Submission in attitude prays with the understanding that God, for our good and for His glory, for purposes beyond our understanding, may answer in the way that we do not desire. But God is omniscient. And we submit to his omniscience. We know the terrible but unseen consequences. Sorry, he knows the terrible but unseen to us consequences of our prayers. Brothers and sisters, pray before the throne of the sovereign king because he invites you and I into his presence. Pray before the throne of the living God who is kind, gracious, merciful, and lovingly turns his face toward us to hear our prayers. Pray before the throne of the living God, who is also our loving Father, kind and gentle 
and accepting of us for the sake of Christ our Lord. Notice, secondly, we pray in consideration of God's appeasement. Look again at verse verse 6. In the second part of that verse, you'll see there that Moses was to place the altar of incense in front of the mercy seat, in front of the propitiatory seat. And why did God mention that to Moses? Why restate it twice like that? Now, I believe the reason is that he wanted to drive home the idea. If you remember from Exodus 25, the describing of the mercy seat there, we remember that the blood of the atonement was sprinkled there. God wanted him to remember and consider as he came to offer the incense that after atonement had been made, back in Exodus 25, that's when God would speak to Moses. And as the, the blood has been offered, and now the priest come and stands, and he offers to burn that incense, offers and burns it, sorry. He is doing so in consideration of the fact that God has been appeased. This priest standing there would have remembered that on the other side of the veil, Literally, just beyond hand's reach, was the solid gold atonement seat, but not beautiful and sparkling in gold like I like to think of it, but it would have been covered with dull, dried, dark red blood splatters all over it. He could burn incense and pray before the Lord because the blood of the atonement had been accepted on his behalf. He could burn incense and pray before the Lord, knowing the Lord would hear his prayers and perhaps speak to him as the Lord did to Zechariah. The wonderful truth for us, and you already know it, Christ has opened the way for us to pray without ceasing. Christ has come as our atonement sacrifice. His blood has been accepted on our behalf to appease God's anger against us. If you were to go to Hebrews 9 verses 11 to 15, it describes Christ who has obtained eternal redemption for you and me, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but through his own blood and his blood has cleansed our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. Christ was put forward, offered by God as the appeasing sacrifice for us. Christ's full justice against us was hurled at Christ and he bore it all. God who was furiously angry with us for our disobedience, God is not angry anymore. <laughs> you know, there's, there's few phrases in the Old Testament that just kind of stick in your head. And that one from Isaiah 12 is stuck in my head for years. I will give thanks to you on that day, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. The priest could stand there with the, 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 the incense and burn it, remindful of the blood on that atonement cover, and know that God was not angry. We can come into the presence of the living God. We can bow our face before him, and we can pray. We can cry out to God, knowing that he is not angry with us anymore. We come and we pray with an attitude of consideration of the fact that God is not angry anymore. We come in delight of the fact that God now comforts us. We come with joy, with hope, because God is comforting us. We come and pray in consideration 
and memory of Christ's death. We come and pray with unceasing thanksgiving for our salvation. And the last little point we want to consider this morning is we pray in the ministry of God's Spirit. Now, last week, if you were listening, you would have caught that I actually recorded the sermon twice. And uh, in the earlier recording, which was a lot longer, uh, you can be thankful I didn't put that one out, uh, I included this point. And I thought, you know what? No, it belongs next week. In Exodus 30, verses 7 and 8, Notice the prayer was offered at the time of the trimming of the lamps. And the way that the Spirit of God has inspired it to be written is very key. If you understand a little about how literature works in the Old Testament, it starts off with, He shall burn fragrant incense. He shall burn it in the morning when He trims the lamps. Then He repeats it. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, He shall burn incense. And you notice how it goes, burn incense, uh, burn incense, trim the lamp, trim the lamp, burn incense. He's making a point there. He's using a literary device to make a point that trimming the lamp goes hand in hand with burning the incense. Now we saw, I was so tempted to share this with you, even in the second recording. We saw last week how the lampstand is a picture of Christ. The central trunk pictures Christ the vine. The six branches coming off the central trunk are a picture of us as believers. And just as Christ was filled with the Spirit to lead, empower, and enable Him, we, like Christ, are filled with the same Spirit. Just as the burnt wicks of the lamp needed trimming, and we saw this last week, to produce a clear, bright light, not a shadowy, smoky light, so also we need to regularly trim the burnt wick of our lamp so the Spirit of God within us might burn brightly to point others to Christ. In other words, we need to be regularly trimming off the old man of our lives. So prayer and trimming the lamp go so closely together. We need to put off the old sinful man to allow Christ to shine through. And listen, There's no more necessary time than when we come to pray. We need to trim the wick by confessing and seeking forgiveness for sin. We need to trim the wick by pleading for help with old sinful habits. Nothing but nothing hinders our prayers and the Holy Spirit within us grieved and hindered by our sin so that he cannot lead and provoke us and call us to prayer and minister to us as we pray. But you know, when we're in that state, when the Holy Spirit is able to lead to guide us, to bring into mind the things we need to pray for. When we sense the leading of the Spirit to pray and our heart overflows in a flood of prayers, sometime with tears, it is the sweetest moments that we as Christians can enjoy. Communion with God. We feel that closeness of God the Spirit to our hearts, even in sitting and meditating on Him through His Word. That is communion with God. That is fellowship that God in love saved us for. The incense altar, to wrap it all up. The incense altar is a picture and a symbol of prayer offered by the priests. God called the priest to offer incense as a first priority for ministry. And we have our Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest. 
Christ displayed prayer as his highest priority. There's a scene, I can't remember the exact reference, it's when Jesus is in prayer and the disciples come up and it says, when, they f- when he finished praying, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. I think it might be Luke 11, but you can check me out and tell me I'm wrong later. Uh, whatever he was saying in that prayer, whatever thoughts he was expressing, whatever deep groanings of his spirit as he cried out to God, his father in prayer was so powerful and so moving at those 12 men standing around him in that moment. And they didn't dare intrude. And God the Son and God the Spirit spoke with one another. But when it was over, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They never said, Lord, teach us to preach. And I'm sure he was a powerful preacher, but they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, to really pray. Christ is even now still continuing his ministry of prayer for us. Christ is making us to be a kingdom of priests to offer spiritual sacrifices. The first and highest priority for us in life and ministry, marriage and work, whatever it is, is prayer. And I don't mind confessing that is the most convicting sermons you ever get to preach as a preacher is the sermons you preach on prayer. Every single preacher I've ever talked to, every single pastor I've ever talked to has always hung their heads in a moment of shame and said, no, my prayer life could be better. Prayer is the highest priority for life and ministry. Prayer that's offered in submission to God's authority. We do not come in and demand Prayer that's offered in consideration of God's appeasement. Prayer that's offered in recognition of the Holy Spirit's ministry within us. Why pray first? Back to our original question. Why pray before everything else? We pray first because that follows our Lord Jesus' example and honors and glorifies Him. Why pray first? We pray first because, as John Bunyan said it, and I think I got this quote correct, We can do much after we have prayed, but we cannot do anything until we have prayed. We pray as the highest priority because when we pray, God opens the doors for us. God works in us to guide us, to set us on the right track, ready to go. God clarifies our following priorities and tasks. God often intervenes as we pray to help us avoid senseless mistakes in the wrong direction. We pray as the highest priority, ultimately because when we pray, we are engaged in the best of what God designed, created, and saved us for. We were saved for fellowship with the living God. That is what God saved us for. Brother and sister, I plead with you this morning, as we close the service in a few moments, take time to think about your priority for prayer. Take time to think, to think about your attitude towards God in prayer. Take time to think about the work of the Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you, to minister through you as you increase and develop that prayer life. There is a cost to every choice and every decision we make, including the one to pray. It will require time. It will require effort. It will require sweat and blood and tears at times. 
It will require labor before God. But that labor offered to God as we pray is there's a reward for it in knowing God, the intimacy. Think about Paul, the way he states, I pray without ceasing. And he knew the Lord like few others. Moses, who was often in prayer, and he knew the Lord like few others. And of course, our Lord Jesus, who knew his Father like no other. And yet he calls us to do the same, to engage in prayer, to be with God, to commune with God and fellowship with God, to wait on God in prayer. Loving Father, as we close this service with a hymn and a benediction, Father, we pray that the thoughts that have been shared, Father, I pray that you would use them for your glory. Father, wipe from the memory those that are unhelpful and distracting. And Father, we pray that we would see Christ through it all. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.